There are many moments throughout parenting when you realize that your child is no longer dependent of you for certain things. They learn how to bathe themselves. They can tie their shoes on their own. They can make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich without needing help. Or they can swim without you holding on to them or without those flotation devices on their arms. Picture this for a moment. Imagine when a child comes to the point when they declare that they're ready to be independent from the training wheels on their bicycle. Now, you know that they're probably not quite there yet, but they insist. And as a good parent does, you support them and reluctantly remove those training wheels that have held them up and have guarded them from tipping over when riding the bike. As they mount their bicycle for the first time without the training wheels and prepare to take off, you hold your breath as you prepare for the inevitable crash and burn, to which the child lets out a cry and Mom or dad rushed to them, picking them back up. Although eventually children learn how to ride their bike on their own and independent of the training wheels, this moment towards independence is a powerful example. An example of how from an early age and all throughout our lives, we seek to be independent, self-sustaining, and able to care and to provide and do life on our own. I can do it, Mom. I can do it, Dad. I don't need help. How those words echo all throughout our lives. Why do you think in life we have to prove ourselves as being independent or strong and wise enough to be considered a successful adult or member of society? Why do we emphasize so much to our children, to our teenagers, and to one another that being independent is the right and the only way of living? Now, don't get me wrong. Children, at some point, they need to move out, and they need to be able to care for themselves. And adults need to be able to take care of themselves and their families and to provide for their own needs. However, I think we overemphasize independence so much so that it gets in the way of our spiritual lives and journeys. In the life of a believer, dependency is an absolute. Dependency is an absolute, which is seen throughout the life of Joseph. Joseph the dreamer, whose story and, and journey we're exploring in the Old Testament book of Genesis, in our summer message series, Determined Dreamer. Determined Dreamer, it's what Joseph was. He had many dreams throughout his life, uh, dreams of prophecies and visions of the future that God had given him, two of which we explored and heard about last week. He was also committed and determined to following faithfully, the God of his father Jacob and his ancestors, even though, even though all throughout his life he experienced twists, turns, trials, temptations, 
and unexpected moments. Those unexpected moments that began at an early age for Joseph, uh, as he was just 17 years old when his 10 older brothers plotted to kill Joseph out of jealousy and vengeance over the fact that he was the golden child in the family. However, by God's providence, intervention, and, and the brothers having some remorse, not very much, but some remorse, that this was a blood relative, they instead decided to profit from Joseph's life by selling him as a slave to some Ishmaelites who were passing by, landing Joseph far from the comfort of his home in the land of Egypt. From early on, we learn from Joseph's life the importance of always expecting the unexpected. Expecting the unexpected and, and remaining faithful and courageous in the Lord no matter what the future may hold because God is still with us. God is still with us. And God was still with Joseph, which we find in the next part of his story in our scripture reading for today. So I would invite you now to grab your Bibles, maybe pull the text up from a Bible app on your smartphone or tablet device if you're able to without interrupting this video. Today we continue in Joseph's story in Genesis, the 39th chapter. Genesis 39, verses 1 through 23. Genesis 39 We'll be reading verses 1 through 23. And as you're turning there, it's important to point out that as we go throughout this text and this part of Joseph's story, take notice of how the writer emphasizes over and over again how the Lord remained and was with Joseph. And that even in the face of temptation and sin, Joseph remained committed to the Lord. But we pick up in Joseph's story the next part of Joseph's crazy and unexpected story in Genesis 39, beginning with verse 1. When Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, Potiphar, Pharaoh's chief officer, the commander of the royal guard, and an Egyptian purchased him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he served in his Egyptian master's household. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord had made everything he did successful. Potiphar thought highly of Joseph, and Joseph became his assistant. He appointed Joseph head of his household and put everything he had under Joseph's supervision. From the time he appointed Joseph head of household and of everything that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's household because of Joseph. The Lord blessed everything he had, both in the household and in the fields. So he handed over everything he had to Joseph, and he didn't pay attention to anything except for the food that he ate. Now Joseph was well built, and he was handsome. Sometime later, Potiphar's wife became attracted to Joseph and said to him, Sleep with me. He refused, and he said to his master's wife, With me here, my master doesn't pay attention to anything in his household. He's put everything he has under my supervision. No one is greater than I am in this household. 
and he hasn't denied me anything except for you, since you are his wife. How could I do this terrible thing and sin against God? Every single day, she tried to convince him, but he wouldn't agree to sleep with her or to even be with her. One day when Joseph arrived at the house to do his work, none of the household's men were there. She grabbed his garment and she said to him, lie down with me. But he left his garment in her hands and he ran away. When she realized that he had left his garment in her hands and had run outside, she summoned the men of her house and said to them, look, my husband brought us a Jew or a Hebrew to ridicule us. He came to me to lie down with me, but I screamed. When he heard me raise my voice and scream, he left his garment with me and he ran outside. She kept his garment with her until Joseph's master came home, and she told him the same thing. The Hebrew slave whom you brought to us to ridicule me, he came to me. But when I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment with me and he ran outside. When Joseph's master heard the thing that his wife had told him, this is what your servant did to me, he was angry. Joseph's master took him and threw him in jail, the place where the king's prisoners were to be held. While he was in jail, the Lord was with Joseph, and he remained loyal to him. He caused the jail's commander to think highly of Joseph. The jail's commander put all of the other prisoners in the jail under Joseph's supervision, and he was the one who determined everything that happened there. The jail's commander paid no attention to anything Joseph did or under Joseph's supervision, because the Lord was with him and made everything he did successful. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This poor guy, Joseph can't catch a break. And here is yet another example in his life of always expect the unexpected. From the moment Joseph was enslaved and thrown into these unfortunate series of events, the presence of the Lord in Joseph's life was apparent. As Joseph served in the household of Potiphar, uh, Pharaoh's royal guard, the head of Pharaoh's royal guard, God richly blessed the household and the fields that Potiphar owned. Joseph gained trust with Potiphar, and while his Egyptian master probably didn't know or didn't acknowledge that it was Yahweh who was doing the blessing, he had to have believed that there was some divine element or nature involved with Joseph. As this well-built, handsome young man, which, by the way, in the Old Testament, If you hear that word beautiful or handsome, that's a major red flag that something bad's about to happen. But as Joseph is given authority over Potiphar's household, Potiphar's wife begins to take notice of Joseph. She attempts to convince him to commit adultery with her. However, being a man above reproach and committed not only to God but also to serving his master faithfully, Joseph refuses, as the text says, to do this horrible thing and this sin against God. Joseph was determined to remain faithful to the point that the text says he avoided Potiphar's wife at all costs. He wouldn't even go near her. 
However, she was manipulative, and she was persistent. Out of spitefulness and, and probably realizing when Joseph left the garment in her hands or, or in her room, however that was done, she realized that she had to cover her tracks to avoid severe punishment of her own and probably divorce. Potiphar's wife falsely accuses Joseph, resulting in him being imprisoned. Now, pausing for a moment, I think it's important to note that the text doesn't say who Potiphar was angry with directly, leading some biblical scholars to, to believe and to claim that he probably, in some way, or to some degree, believed that Joseph was innocent in this situation. Nevertheless, Joseph's rise to power is short-lived as he's falsely accused and thrown into an Egyptian prison where the Lord remained loyal to Joseph and where the Lord continued to be with him. The Lord continued to be with him. What's important to realize is that despite all of the unfortunate events and hardships that have taken place in Joseph's life so far, even when faced with temptation, he remained obedient, faithful, and dependent on the Lord his God. By Joseph acknowledging that what Potiphar's wife was suggesting was horrible and that it was a sin against God, Joseph demonstrated a profound and an unwavering commitment to depending on God entirely and remaining in a faithful relationship with him, even when faced with temptation and with sin. We don't talk about temptation or sin often in the church. And I think sometimes we misunderstand what sin truly is. Sin isn't merely about doing something bad, doing something immoral or condemnable by God. But as writer Bernard Anderson writes, sin is a declaration of independence from God. It is a refusal to let God be God. Think about why God was so upset with Adam and Eve eating from the tree of knowledge in the Garden of Eden. It wasn't just because they did something that God said not to do. Instead, let's recognize why God didn't want them eating from that tree to begin with. Genesis 3.22 says, The Lord said, See, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. God made us, made human beings with every intention and with every desire of us depending entirely on him. But when the fruit was eaten from the tree of knowledge, humans gained this self-awareness of what is good and what is evil. And this free will, the kind of free will that, as Genesis says, is similar to that of God, leading to our ultimate demise and fall. Sin is the separation of us 
from God. Hear that again. Sin is the separation of us from God. It is us essentially saying, God, I have no need for you. And I can do this thing of life by my own knowledge, by my own strength and doing. Joseph resisted temptation and sin. And therefore he remained dependent on God. And because of it, God remained with him. Friends, how in your life are you trying to live independently from God? What are you filling your life with to try to fill that natural void that God has created in us with anything but God? Today I want you to acknowledge where sin is present in your life. And then I want you to offer that and share that with God in prayer. Acknowledge where sin is present in your life and then offer that to God in prayer. Acknowledge how you're trying to live independent of God or in the ways that you're trying to fill the natural void that God created for him to fill but that you're filling with other things perhaps even inappropriate and worldly things. And do this because as followers of Jesus Christ, we believe that our sins have been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. That we're freed from the destructive patterns of sin and death because Jesus died on the cross. And because we're invited back into a relationship that is sustained and dependent of God. Friends, Jesus Christ died so that we would be forgiven and so that our relationship with God would be restored. However, we have to acknowledge, we have to acknowledge that we have sinned. We, we like to use that word confession. It's confessing that we have sinned. It's seeking forgiveness. And then when we do that, we learn how to better depend on the grace and the love and the almighty power of God. Friends, Jesus Christ died on the cross so that your relationship of dependency could be restored with your creator, God. That's what Jesus died for. And every time you sin, Every time you fill your life with something other than God, it's like looking at Jesus as he's dying on the cross and saying, I have no need for you. I can do this on my own. How in your life are you, are you trying to live independently of God? What are you filling your life with? Or how are you trying to fill the natural void with things that are not God. You either depend on and, and trust God to fill that void and to fill your life with goodness, 
with grace and with love, no matter the cost, just as Joseph has experienced. Or you don't. The choice is entirely yours to make. Think about that for a moment, and then we'll pray. Almighty and merciful God, forgive us our trespasses. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us for our sins and for the ways that we have been trying to live independent of you. Forgive us for how we try to, to fill the void in our lives with inappropriate and worldly things. God, lead us not into temptation and fill us with your Holy Spirit. Sustain us by your presence. Fill us with your goodness, with your love, with your grace, with your almighty power. And God, free us by the power of Jesus Christ. Free us from the shame of, of sin and death. God, Help us. Help us to be aware of when we're starting to slip in this life. Would you gently whisper in our ears when we need to be corrected? And when we need to get back on a path of relying entirely on you, in this life. Lord, we need you every minute of every hour of every day of every year that we live on this earth. Lord, we need you. Amen.